God, we want to, as we sang right at the beginning, Lord, we, we want to make sure we worship you this evening, but we want to we uh, hear you speak to us through the worship, Lord, and uh, through the conversations. And Lord, we, we, we want to thank you, Lord, that you've just left your Bible for us. Lord, these words are life to us this evening. They're, they're, they're nourishment for our soul, Lord. They're food for us, Lord. Lord, we want to consider this evening your words to us. And uh, Lord, we pray that you'll nourish us again from that most holy book. Lord, I, we, I guess we don't read it anywhere near as much as we'd want to, let alone as much as we ought to. But Lord, we're here. That's the beauty of nights like tonight, Lord. We can just come. And we can receive some instruction from you through your word. And so, Lord, for every one of us, whether it's the, the speaker or the hearer, uh, we thank you we're going to receive something from your amazing book, Lord. So we turn our thoughts, Lord, to your word. We open up our hearts, Lord. Come and speak to us. Come and make us feel good, Lord. Come and challenge us. Come and inspire us. Uh, Lord, may we encounter you through the living, breathing pages of your holy book, the word of God, Lord. We will not shy away from it, Lord. We will not compromise it in a, in, a, in a day and age when we might be told that it's a little bit outdated. We want to thank you. It's more relevant than tomorrow's newspapers. We will not shy away from trying to get to grips and trying to live, Lord. According to what your word says. So speak to us now, Lord. We pray in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated, folks. If you've got um, a Bible with you, then uh, please turn to uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 11 to 21, for those of you who know your way around the Bible. It's great to be here this evening, isn't it? Isn't it fantastic? All things are possible. We, we could even win the Euros now after that performance. I'm back up there in my levels of expectation. It took one match, one match, and I'm the eternal optimist. But I praise God. It's good to be alive, isn't it? I like to remind myself of that, you know. Because life's a bit precious, isn't it? Don't you think? Don't go quiet on me now. Life's, life is really precious and and if you're really struggling and life doesn't feel that precious for you right now, I'm really, really sorry you're struggling. Maybe if you could leave here tonight with a fresh sense of how, how precious even the oxygen you breathe is, that'd be amazing, wouldn't it? You're privileged people, you know. I really am enjoying being here this evening. I really am enjoying being in God's presence, aren't you? It's nice. It's really nice, isn't it? I like feeling God. I like getting my heart pumping and racing and my stomach doing somersaults. Because do you know what? It just reminds me of what it's all about. Because I don't know if you're like me, but I'm, I'm rubbish at remembering what I need to remember, aren't you? Are you? I just I remember all the stuff I really shouldn't remember. And I forget all the stuff that I should remember, and I'm topsy-turvy me, aren't you? Yeah, I, th- I feel down when I should be encouraged, 
encouraged when I should be down. I get, I get ever so confused. Do you? Or is it just me? Please tell me it's not just me or I'm booking myself in for counselling with, with Pastor Leon. <laughs> oh, I feel really happy tonight. I want you to know. So look, here's the deal. So what I want to chat to you, I want to ask you a question this evening. I want to ask you, how are you? How are you? That's what I want to ask you. Now, you know, like I could ask you that today, and by tomorrow you could be rubbish. You know that, don't you? All right. And uh, I, I could have asked you it now, and the answer could be that you're rubbish, but by tomorrow you could be okay. All right. So I want to ask you, how are you? But I want you to consider it a little bit. Now, if you'd have said, how are you to me? A couple of years ago, I'd said, oh, I'm not good. You know, like in the church, we encourage uh, the Christians to be honest and to always have time for each other. And, and, and when we ask, how are you? And we, we say we should be honest in church. But how, how many of you wish sometimes that you haven't asked somebody how they were? <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? You know, it's like, how are you? Oh, and you kind of feel like saying, if I ever gave you any impression that I was authentic in that question, <laughs> let me take this opportunity to formally apologise, you know what I mean? Because it is, it's awkward, isn't it? And it's like, I spend my whole life asking people, how are you? Because like, I travel around quite a bit and, and I'm, I'm rubbish with names. I'm rubbish with names. I really, really am. And it's, it's really awkward because like, I remember faces really, really well. I remember bank details really well. <laughs> But names I'm rubbish with. I'm honestly, I'm rubbish. And I can often remember who's, who's married to who and, and who does what. But names I'm, I'm shocking with. And so I find myself asking quite a lot, how are you? And uh, how's your husband? You know, in the hope that that might give some clues as, as to who they are. And, and it's really difficult because, like, you know, you can only call somebody brother or sister. And, uh, and sometimes that's awkward because you're not sure whether they are a brother or a sister. All right, so it can be really, really awkward. But when sometimes you ask people, how are they? And, and it's, not, it's not good. And if you had said to me a couple of years ago, hey, I'd say, well, you know, there's, there's me gout. No, it's not a laughing matter. I'm glad, glad you can laugh. I couldn't. Um, it's, you know, it's okay. Don't worry. I've had tablets. They're not working, but I've had them. All right. And uh, how are you? Oh, me, me gout's not good. And um, my sugar levels are a bit high. And uh, my blood pressure... That's a bit high. And uh, apart from that, I'm doing great. <laughs> how's, how's your wife? She's not good. Uh, kids? going to be honest. <laughs> Left it up. No, that's not true, all right? But, you know, it's hard. But I, I, want, I want this evening to ask you, how are you in a few, in a few ways? And I really want you to be honest. I have this little phrase... And I've mentioned it here because um, I've written it down in my notes. Uh, everything I say everywhere, I put down so I know. And I have this little phrase that I don't always live by, but it, I want to live by it. And this is it. It's really important for us to be honest because honesty is the place where we meet with God. So I want you to be honest this evening. Because I really believe if, if you and I are honest, it's where we meet with God. If we're not honest, if we, if we, if we pretend, 
Uh, if we pretend we're okay in certain areas, then you know it, it's going to make it really difficult for God to meet with us in, in those areas. So I wonder whether you could just commit yourself, and I'll commit myself, to being honest with God uh, this morning, because that's what, that's what this, this whole thing of encounter is about, isn't it? It's about encountering God. So I want you to be honest. Now, to help us do that, um, or to help us to consider what I want us to consider, I want us to read uh, these sentences that I mentioned to you from the Bible, 2 Corinthians 5:11 to 21. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it's for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore, it's amazing, Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. That in him we might become the righteousness of God. I really feel that the, the words that we're going to consider together are real words for us, uh, for us this evening. The first thing I want to ask you is, how are you smelling? How are you smelling? Just turn to the person and have a quick whiff. The person next to you, how are they smelling? It's not good, is it? It's not good. Sensing that. I believe there's a word for you tonight, links. Links, don't... I don't know if that resonates with anybody. Um, I, um, I've been really good recently. I've been doing a little bit more exercise. And uh, I've been cycling to my office. Um, and I've been, it's six miles. And I've been, I've been trying to, because I've got a personal trainer. I, honest, I've got a personal trainer. And um, who whistled then? <laughs> Oh, it's my personal trainer. No, um, I've, I've got this personal trainer, and uh, it's, a, it's a guy that I've been kind of chatting with. He's one of my, uh, my daughter's, he's my, my daughter's friend. Her, it's ever so complicated explaining relationships in today's culture, doesn't it? She's a bloke, all right, he's a bloke, and he's somebody I know, I've got to know really well. And we've been, been chatting about various bits of stuff, and uh, he's, he's come to hear me speak at uh, an event. And so we've been kind of having a natter and get to know each other, and he knows I've been on this diet and trying to lose a bit of weight and um, he said to me oh if you'd like I'll help you and I'll become your personal trainer so I said that mate that'd be fantastic so I get this personal trainer once slash twice a week for nothing and it's great because we do a bit of boxing really recommend that for anybody in church leadership <laughs> it's really good it's really good Leon and um, 
or anybody who's just kind of got a boss that they're frustrated with. Hopefully it's not the church leadership. But, any, but, um, but it's been really, really good. But obviously you get a bit of a lather on, don't you, when you're doing kind of that kind of stuff. And uh, So I've been a little bit aware of the potential for me to smell. And I, I don't like that because I'm quite clean. I get a bit paranoid over all kinds of different things. So in my car I've got mints, I've got mouthwash, I've got, I've got mouth spray, all sorts of stuff. And I've got Ted Baker. Yeah, a bloke called Ted Baker, all right? Not the spray. I've got some of that and I've got... And I put it all up because I'm just aware that with all the exercise, you could be a bit smelly. And I read recently that in the 1500s, people got married in June, right? And they got married in June because they took their yearly bath in May. <laughs> and so they still smelled pretty good in June. However... When they were starting to pong a bit, some of them, so brides carried a bouquet of flowers to hide the body odour. There you go. So I don't know whether that still is true today. In weddings, I don't know whether that's still true. I'm guessing it's probably not. But that's, I love finding out those kinds of things, don't you? And I, I, I understand it's, it's true. I mean, Googled it. It's got to be, hasn't it? Do you know what I mean? Wikipedia. Nothing's wrong on there, is it? So... The principle is this, that actually they carried this bouquet to cover up a bit of a stench. And um, I wonder, how are you smelling? See, I, I think sometimes we can cover up how we really, really are as Christians by making it look like we are giving off a good fragrance. Now, I want you just to, for a minute to park that thought just there, and I'm going to come back to that thought, because I want to I wanna visit another thought that links that. Look in verse 11 in the reading, it says, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. Now, when we think about trying to persuade people, sometimes we can be a little bit too forceful. If you're here this evening and you've got one of those Christian friends who are a little bit forceful, uh, they may not think they are, all right, because they've just got a little bit giddy with excitement about what they've discovered in God, and, and they want you to have it. So, um, and sometimes, I do confess, we can, be a bit, we can be a bit rabid as Christians, all right, so forgive us if we've been a little bit too in your face with it, all right. It's just that at the end of the day, We've discovered something that has radically changed the way we do life. And we want you to have it. All right? In fact, what we've discovered is nothing less than a cure to a fatal disease. Honestly. It's like, the truth is that the Bible tells us that, in a sense, we have a disease in us. Uh, what, what do you mean, God, a disease in us? The Bible tells us that every one of us who have not given our life over to God, live with this kind of thing called sin. What on earth is all that about? The Bible says that when we do stuff that's wrong, when we leave God out of our lives, what that actually does, it disconnects us from God. So it makes it impossible for you and I to connect with God. And as such, our lives waste away from being all that God wants them to be. You know when you've, when you've met somebody who's, who's got a disease and they're in their final stages and they're kind of wasting away because they can't take anything. In a sense, spiritually, we are wasting away without God. 
And we happen to have discovered, not through any kind of arrogance, not through anything that we've worked out, but just because there was a day when we discovered that God wants to, to heal us spiritually. God wants to heal us physically and emotionally. God wants to do something in our lives. And we opened up our lives. And, and, and basically what this sentence says, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We've kind of understood that. We know what it is in a sense to fear the Lord. We, like anybody, get sidetracked a little bit and kind of lose the plot sometimes. But we know what it is to, to know the Lord and to be connected with him. And, and because of that, we, we just want to persuade everybody. We want to convince everybody of God's existence and it's, it's a passion, it's a desire and sometimes it gets us into trouble and sometimes we don't quite get it right and we, you know in fact in, in the autumn time uh, more details will, will follow uh, through the notices in the autumn time in the church here we're going to be going through four weeks where we can just look at how we can get it right a bit more often do you know what I mean we're going to call it it's called the boot camp and I'm going to be coming four evenings. We're just going to look at how we can get it right more often. And how we can have confidence coupled with sensitivity. So we're doing our best. And if you're here this evening and, and you're not a Christian, I'm, I'm sorry if we've not quite got it right. Would you accept our apology? But would you maybe understand we've just discovered something? We, we, we know what it is. And we're not always very good. Not always very good. You know, it's, it's been said that um, two of the most... Um, Insensitive types of people are alcoholics who've given up alcohol, or smokers who've given up smoking, or fat people who've lost weight. <laughs> and sometimes on, you can become really, really judgmental. I've been on a bit of a journey and lost a little bit of weight. And if I go in a buffet now, right, I get so, I just, oh, look at you and what you've got on your plate. <laughs> oh! Oh, put it away. How many? Three potatoes. Three potatoes. So we can be a little bit... And, 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 and sometimes as Christians, Christians, we can be a bit judgmental, you know. We can be a bit judgmental. But I wonder maybe if you're here this evening, you might just somehow be able to see past that and, and maybe understand that even though we might not be giving off a good reflection, we've just discovered something. But all that said, I want to, I want to challenge us. I want to encourage those of us who are Christians to, to yeah, we know what it is to, 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 to fear God. And we want to convince and we want to encourage. We want to persuade. But you know what the word persuade means? It means by sweetness to convince. That's what the word means. That's the sentiment. It's not, come on, become a Christian. It's not that. I mean, you know, if that works for you, then please go with it. But, you know, that's not what it means. It's just this sweetness to convince. Give you an example. I have got um, three women in my house. In four, if you include the cat. All right. And um, I've got um, Natalie. All right. She's four and a half years old. All right. I've got um, Emma, my wife. got Robin. Robin, she's Emma's about the same height as me. Um, I've got Robin, she's C7. And then Emma, my wife, who's um, similar age to me. And um, she, Emma goes away occasionally to these writer's days. And uh, the kids love it because they have what's called a daddy day. Okay. Now, the girls love it because they know that 
um, when mum is out of the equation, daddy's fair game. It's what girls do to a dad, isn't it? I don't know whether it's true of mums to a uh, boys to a mum, but it's certainly true of, of girls to dad. And they know that if, if they came in and were forceful, all right, and asking for something, Daddy, I want this, I go, no, you're not having it. Clear off. Clear off, you're not having it. Go and play in the fast lane of the motorway or something like that. <laughs> they know that, wouldn't it? However, it's really shrewd. And I know what they're doing. I, I so know what they're doing. But I can't, I can't fight it. It's a strong force, my child. Okay, so they gang up on me. All right, two of them. It feels like a gang, all right. And they, nothing, and they come and sit, one on each knee. And they go, Daddy, we love you. And I go, no, Daddy loves you too. And I know what's happening, but... <laughs> They've got me in their grip. They've got me in their grip. And then, and then, the dirty girls, they kiss me. And they know, kissing, they know that that's going to send me up. It's going to make me fall down. They know it's going to do something for me. They know that I'm not going to be able to handle that. Now, the great thing about that little line there is that's working on two different levels tonight. The whole thing about kissing and falling down is wonderful. All right. (laughs) Getting two punchlines out of one line and the others are not going to have a clue. It's wonderful. But, okay, so this is the thing. They convince me. Through sweetness. And it disarms me. Do you know what I pray? And I used to pray every day. And I need to go back to praying it every day. Um, But I, I still pray occasionally. Lord. Help me. Leave a little bit of Jesus. Wherever I go. I want. I want people to. To meet Mark Greenwood. And meet Jesus. Don't you? I want to be able to persuade them by the, the sweetness of the presence of Christ in my life. So let me come back to that thought that we parked. How are you smelling? How are you? How are you? So this, is, this is both an encouragement and challenge. 2 Corinthians 2. 14 to 15 says, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Listen to this. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. It's like to God. We are the the aroma of Christ. To God. I wonder how we're smelling to God. How are we smelling to those that don't know the Lord? They may know that we're Christians, but, but as I often say, and I'm sure I'll say it again in the boot camp, is that a good thing? Your friends, your family, your neighbours, your work colleagues, do they know you're a Christian? And is that a good thing? That they know you're a Christian? Or is it a bad thing because we're not giving off a good aroma? I wonder if I might change the metaphor a little bit just to push this point home. The French have a phrase called amuse-bouche, okay? Now, amuse-bouche, all right, is, um, it's, the, it's the phrase that you use in 
kind of fine dining restaurants, okay? Now, I've obviously never dined in those. I've only ever read about this, okay? But a mousse-bouche is it's a little bit like, I guess, the kind of the nearest equivalent. Have you ever had canapes? Not canopies that put over you when it's raining. <laughs> canapes that are like a tray with like small bits of kind of almost kind of crackers on with, with, with little bits of cheese. And, and you look at it and you think, I paid 30 quid, is that all I'm getting? <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't be any good in fine dining, neither would I. You know? Some of you complain, an espresso, don't you? <laughs> I actually saw this bloke kick off big style because he paid £2.50. I paid £2.50 for a coffee. No, but a thimble. And do you know what he said? He said, where's the rest of the doll's house? You know what I mean? <laughs> this guy's a comedy genius. <laughs> He's crazy, isn't it? So um, if I thought that had been that funny, I'd have used it as my own line. But anyway, right. <laughs> it will be my line next time. Okay. Um, so an amuse-bouche, right, it's, it's a tiniest, tiniest bit. It's the, it's, it's the thing that you have before the all says duvers. Do you know what I mean? You have it before all that. Okay. And, uh, and what you do is the, the idea, you don't have a lot. I mean, don't look at them and go, they'll never film me. Can I have ten? All right. What you do is you have an amuse-bouche. You might have one or possibly two. Or you might have earned, possibly de, all right, because it's French. <laughs> or three. <laughs> or just two, because that's all I can count in French. Okay. <laughs> we'll roll with de, we'll roll with de, okay. And, uh, and what you do is you go, you, you, you have this little amuse-bouche, some of you are getting hungry right now, aren't you? And what, what happens, the, the, the idea, the intention about an amuse-bouche is that it gets the, 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 um, the taste buds really excited about the first course. That's what it does. Gets the taste buds really excited. It's like you put this amuse-bouche in your mouth and people cannot wait now for the main act, for the main course. Do you get me? So, changing this metaphor, an amuse-bouche. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Listen, I want to say to you this evening... If you, can, if you can see past Christians that have put you off, then please do. Because I tell you what, I cannot recommend how good, how amazing, how loving, how caring, how fair God is. I cannot recommend him enough to you this evening. If you've never said yes to him, please, this evening, would you just say to God right now where you are, God, I'm, I'm opening up my life to you. I don't, you might not even understand a great deal about it, but I'm telling you, you have an encounter with God this evening. Uh, listen, God is at work in so many people's lives. There have been no end of people that I've seen that have started the journey, even in the past months, and they've, they've opened themselves up to God, and they've seen that is amazing. So please, open up your life to him. Just simply say yes to him right now where you are. Say yes, God, and by, by saying yes, you're saying, yeah, God, I don't want to live my life without you anymore. I want to live it with you. And uh, yeah, God, I don't understand this whole Jesus thing, but you know what? I'm, I'm just going to throw myself on your feet and, and, and learn as I go on, and, and we'll help you to do that. And towards the end of this evening, I'll explain a little bit more about how you can journey forward with that step. Because taste and see, taste and see, the Lord is good. But the reason I use the Amuse Boost analogy is, is simple. I wonder how. Those of us are Christians, whether we set the taste buds spiritually 
of those who don't know the Lord, whether we set them alight for the main act or whether we turn them off completely. Does that make sense? Nothing worse is that when, when you expect them to taste something nice. And it's, oh, that's disgusting. Nothing worse. Nothing worse. So it's a challenge for us this evening. I, I want you to be honest. How, how are you smelling? What, what radiance? What fragrance are you giving off to people that don't? Is it good to those that don't know the Lord? Are you, are you creating a thirst? Are you creating a spiritual salivating in a person because they've, they've tasted something of God through your life? Or are we just putting people right off? These are really key issues for us to address because you know what? We can equip ourselves and it's right that we equip ourselves. That's why we're running the boot camp in the autumn. That's why this church believes in equipping. But you know what? If, if, our, if our day-to-day life stinks, what good is it going to do? If we turn more people away from Jesus... What, what, what good is our conversation going to be? Often wondered, you know there's a little sentence that says, um, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be seasoned with salt. I wonder what that seasoned with salt means. Maybe that's something of how we live our lives. Seasons our conversation and brings out the, the flavor, the richness. So first thing for us to consider this evening is how are you smelling and how are you tasting? The second thing I want to ask you is, is how are you running? And uh, it's funny, I've been doing a little bit of running, not much. I mean, I'm, I've got flat feet and fallen arches, so I struggle. So I've just been on my bike a little bit. But I've tried a bit of running and I think my run's all right. I'm going to be honest with you. But I'm a little bit jealous of other people's runs. All right, I look at some other people, they look, they've got a really cool run. But some people have got a rubbish run. And they? They look like otters, don't they? Or pregnant ducks or something like that. So they've not got a good run. They've not got a good run. And I, but I want to ask you this evening, how, how is your run? How are you running? I don't mean how do you look when you're out exercising. But how are you running? How are you how are you compelled? And the picture in, in, in this instance, when it talks about in verse 14, for Christ's love compels us. The picture is like a fast running river that the love of Christ compels us. It's like we don't compel ourselves you, you know, to kind of tell people about you. We're compelled by the love of Christ. And, and I wonder sometimes how much of our, uh, our talk out, outdoes our fight. Have you ever been around people and say, oh, they, go, they talk a good fight? You know what I mean? And there'll be a lot of people that talk a good football match over the next couple of weeks. I, I hope it's not Roy Hodgson. I really, really do. But there'll be a lot of us, and we'll, we'll, we, the armchair pundits. I read this, um, this card. I don't know if you've ever seen it around. And uh, it's, it, I suppose it would be an email today off that pigeon thingy, whatever it's called. And you get this little thing that says... Um, uh, my, my dearest darling, you know I love you so much. And I, I, I want to do everything that I can to please you. I just want you to know whatever it takes for me in life to ensure your happiness, I am committed to that. 
I would in fact scale the highest mountain just to get a glimpse of your eyes. I would run the furthest run just to see the sunlight whisper through your hair. Can sunlight whisper? I'm not sure. But I, I, would, I would swim the deepest ocean just to get somewhere near your presence. P.S. I'll see you tonight if it ain't raining. Now that is actually <laughs> apparently a true letter that somebody said to their friend. I don't know whether it is or not. But I wonder sometimes how much of our commitment is stronger in the words we can spout off are not as good in the reality of our words. For Christ's love compels us. Are you compelled like a fast running river with the love of Christ? I'm not saying, are you busy? I'm not saying, are you telling every single person that you meet about Jesus? I'm saying, are you compelled with the love of Christ? It's been estimated how far the Apostle Paul walked in his efforts to spread the gospel. According to Acts, he took three big journeys. For those of you not familiar with the Bible, uh, a man named Paul, a significant player in the church, um, kind of fairly passionate in a religious way, in a very committed way to God. Um, But the church and the Christians and the whole Jesus thing, he, he wasn't up for that. Until one day, of course, he he met this Jesus by himself. And I don't know if you've ever heard of the phrase, a Damascus Road experience, a blinding flash of light. You may have heard people talking about those things. Well, this is a reference to this man who didn't want anything to do with Jesus. He was well up for God. He was pretty passionate about God, but he wasn't that much up for Jesus. And I guess that represents a big stumbling block for many people. You know, they've not got a problem kind of coping with God, but Jesus, that's a bit, a bit more difficult. And um, Paul, or as he was called at this point, Saul, had this encounter with Jesus. And it changed his life. That kind of tends to happen when you meet Jesus, which is why I want to encourage you this evening to take those steps towards meeting Jesus. And once he'd met with Jesus, of course, his, his life was, was never the same. I mean, it isn't, and it wasn't, and he just went mental. In fact, the passion that he had for God was now kind of like the passion that he's got for God and Jesus and the church. The hate that he had for Christians, the same level of passion was still there, but now it was the love that he had for Christians and It was a proper transformation in in every sense of the word. And um, and of course, that's what happens. I I believe in a Jesus that transforms. I do. I've I've just just met him. I've just heard people's stories. and And he's doing it today. He's doing it today. People of all ages, of all generations, of all cultures. Jesus is still transforming them. And um, so, of course, Saul now became known as Paul. And that was really important because everybody knew Saul as this, this man who just wanted to kill Christians. And um, he got a new identity. It's what happens when you give your life to Jesus. And in fact, 
in, in the reading that I read to you at the beginning, which was one of the things that this guy wrote, he talks about if anyone's in Christ, he's a brand new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. That's his story. And it, it's, that's what transformed Paul. So now he goes on this journey to tell as many people as he can. And rather than destroying t- churches and, and killing Christians, which is what he did, he's now actually building churches and actually giving birth to Christians by helping them to find the Jesus he's discovered. It's, it's an incredible story of transformation. Well, one person sat down and tried to work out the kind of distances Paul went to in his attempts to, to take this message out. And um, somebody said the second of these alone amounted to 3,000 miles. So he went on three separate journeys. The second of these amounted to 3,000 miles, 2,000 of which would have been on foot. Now, some of us complain at the thought of catching the bus to church, don't we? But here's this guy. The average daily distance of a traveler of that time was about 20 miles. They, they were good walkers. They were good walkers. And uh, it's interesting, about every 20 to 25 miles, they would have a Roman inn. And it's a little bit like the service stations. Every 20 to 25 miles, when you need a break or a tinkle stop, that's where you stopped. And uh, in fact, it's really funny because like the, the Bible, there's all sorts of different um, uh, translations of the Bible. They're not all different. They're all the same Bible, but they're just using different words because language changes. And on one particular time, it talks about the Apostle Paul stopping at this particular inn. And it says, Paul stopped at the three taverns and took courage. And I just thought that was a lovely, <laughs> a lovely translation. It's brilliant, isn't it? It's, it's fantastic. So... Uh, so yeah, so they, they, um, they, they would have had these 20, 25 miles along the road and uh, they, they were unbelievably filthy, immoral and bug infested. Again, a little bit like modern service stations. And <laughs> Paul travelled uh, through snowy mountain passes, spring floods. He walked through areas famous for harbouring robbers and criminals. He braved wild beasts which imperiled every traveller. And the travel records in um, one particular part, for those of you familiar with the Bible, Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16 alone, he would have covered 740 miles, and chapter 15 would be 500 miles. And, I mean, that's staggering, isn't it? Uh, He wasn't walking for his own benefit or his own health, but he walked for the spiritual well-being of others. Now... Why am I telling you this? I'm convinced that Paul's outward walking was down to his inward running. His outward walking was down to his inward running. No burden for him. I'm sure there were times when he thought, I've got to keep going. But I've discovered this. If, If the love of Christ isn't compelling, it's like this fast running river, if, if we're not running inside, anything is burdensome. Anything is burdensome. It's really, really interesting. I've just been speaking at a festival and we were talking about all athletes train hard and they do it for a, for a prize that is going to tarnish and dis, dis, disappear. But, but we're doing it for one that lasts 
eternally. And I don't always want to give illustrations about weight loss and, 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 and trying to get fit. But you can't help it, can you? Because they give you insights. And, and I, I have noticed something. I have noticed something. When you feel good inside, being disciplined with food is not a problem. When you feel well inside, when you feel you've got some sense of well-being, does that make sense when you're feeling good and you start to see the benefits and you start to shed some of those pounds? I tried to cycle to my office um, one year ago. I've got a slightly better bike, but even taking that into account, when I did it one year ago, I was unfit. I was about four and a half stone heavier So I was carrying four and a half stone on my bike, extra to what I'm carrying now. And I was unfit. And in the last kind of year, I've done a bit of gym work and just tried to get the fitness levels up. Um, This morning, the third time that I've cycled to my office um, since losing weight, I've just started cycling last week or so, I did the same distance in 22 and a half minutes. Why am I telling you that? When you've... When you've shed the things that hold you down, you can run faster. Now, I wasn't going to preach on this, and I I may unpack this thing with you on another occasion because it's something I'm just journeying through myself, but I'm just going to pause because I think think some of us need to make some decisions to shed some stuff so that we can go a greater distance. And so I think it would be good at the end of this evening for those of you who know the Lord just to consider what are some of the things you need to shed. I'm just going to park that and leave that with you. But I just sense we need to, to give opportunity to respond and highlight that God's just pointing that out to you, one or two of you this evening. Coming back to this analogy of Paul. I'm sure he was tired. I'm sure it was physically draining. But he was able to walk the distance, the hard distance, because he was running inside. Folks, if your Christian faith has become burdensome and toilsome, even a small walk feels a pressure to you. You understand what I'm saying by that? If you're in that place, may I suggest to you humbly that the love of Christ has stopped compelling you. You're not running inwardly. And tonight I would encourage you to come back to Jesus and say what David said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. It's not necessarily that you've sinned. It's not that you've stepped out of the will of God. You may. I'm not saying you have or you haven't. I'm saying it's not always that. It's just we've just allowed ourselves to stop running. For, For all kinds of reasons. Some of them can be good reasons if you know what I mean. I'm I'm deliberately trying to not make you feel bad here. This evening, I'm deliberately trying not to to press the guilt button because I don't respond when I feel guilty. Well, I do, but I feel more guilty and more negative and less empowered. Does that make sense? What I am saying to you is come back to Jesus and say, Lord, help me to be compelled. And look, I love Acts chapter 5 about the early church in verse 42. It's phenomenal. It's a brilliant verse when we're thinking about evangelism and reaching out. And um, I I love it because it it says, Acts 5.42, And daily in the temple and in every house... 
They did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as Christ. That's got some pace to it, hasn't it? It's like daily in the, tem- in the temple and in every house. They didn't cease preaching Jesus as the Christ. There's this kind of pace to it, wasn't there? Why? Because they were compelled with the love of Christ. It had caught them. And now I can look at that and if I'm not compelled with the love of Christ and it's not running in me, I can, I can feel burdened and pressurized by that. Can't I? Do you understand what I'm saying? But if the love of Christ is compelling me, I look at that and I go, yes. So look, and daily, that's everybody evangelism. Daily it was done. In the temple, church evangelism. In every house, house to house evangelism. They, every believer evangelism, did not cease hot-hearted evangelism. Teaching, instructional evangelism, preaching, preaching evangelism. Jesus of the Christ, Christ-centered evangelism. There's a pace to it. Because the love of Christ. They were running. Are you running this evening? Or have you slowed down? Are you finding it hard going? Maybe for you, you're at that place and you're just pushing through. The burn's kicking in and you're finding it hard and you're kind of, am I going to push through this? I want to encourage you to push through. Why? Because of the privilege of verse 19. He's committed to us this ministry of reconciliation. Greek word that is used here for committed to us means he has put into our hands. In our hands, folks, is the power of reconciliation. Coventry Cathedral, which is, I'm from a town called Kenilworth, which just kind of sits on the outskirts of Coventry. And, and Coventry's cathedral is, is known as a reconciliation cathedral. It's a phenomenal thing to be known for, and it's um, used in all kinds of different ways. And I, I love that thought that it's known for its reconciliation, and that's what we should be known for. People come to me often and say, Matt, what's my ministry? And I say, reconciliation. No, no, no. No, what's my ministry? <laughs> reconciliation no 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 is it preaching no it's reconciliation no, no is it worship leading no it's reconciliation that you're preaching is maybe you're calling you're, you're gifting and, and those are important things to discover it's not your ministry the ministry of the church the thing that God that Jesus has placed in our hands which should give us an enormous sense of privilege and cause us to run and be compelled with the love of Christ. He has committed to us this ministry of reconciliation. And elsewhere in the passage, the message of reconciliation. So as we lead worship, it should be about reconciling God to people. As we're busy about our life, it should be about reconciling God to people. But actually about reconciling people to people too. Because that's a crucial part of the gospel message. What does the word reconciliation mean? Getting back together, reuniting, bringing together two factioning parties. We're two people that are loggerheads who don't want to talk to each other. You're bringing them back together. We're mediating. I believe the church should be involved in mediating between people. I love it when I discover that churches are, are putting on, I can't quite remember what they're called, but these things where... Um, uh, a, a person needs to be present for a dad to see his child. 
And I know of churches that have committed themselves. And I just think that's reconciling family, isn't it? A small portion of it, but I love it. I love that thought. I love it when churches are doing marriage courses and marriage counselling. And, and I, I know that it's exciting what the third place is all about. And I know the heartbeat of this church. And the message and ministry of this church is reconciliation. But we can all refocus on that, can't we? He's committed to us. It's placed in our hands. This message of reconciliation and it compels the love of Christ because we want people to know him it compels us because we see what can happen is that your belief or is that your conviction a belief is something you hold a conviction is something that holds you this is what we're talking about tonight is it is it our belief or is it our conviction and I suggest to you, it needs to move into being our conviction. And I know that's sometimes why it becomes our conviction, and that's why we laboured at the point. That's why we lay the basis of, by sweetness, to convince. Because you can have conviction and sensitivity, and coupled together. Third thing I just want to suggest to you, or thinkers with you this evening, is how are you looking? How are you smelling, and how are you tasting? How are you running? How are you looking? I understand there's three million pound in lost pennies. So I've decided this time next year I'm going to be a millionaire. I've got 30p so far. But it's funny with, uh, with, with lost money. Because my kids, we walk to school... In the morning, we walk past this shop called One Stop, and there's always like, you know, a few bits of money around there, or often. And, um, like, my kids have found very, like, she found a pound, Robin. Robin found a pound the other day. If she's not having that, I'm I'm fighting for that one, you know what I mean? I'm I'm in for that pound. But what's really interesting is um, now, because they know they're going to find something lost there. When we leave, it's like the minute, the minute we leave the house, they're looking for it. They're looking for it. All they want to do is find something that's lost. And it, when it gets to one stop, which is where the treasure is, their gaze changes. Their gaze changes. They can be talking about all kinds of stuff. But when they're in the place where they know there's something that is lost to be found, they go expecting to find the lost. If I needed to apply this story this evening, I think you've missed something. I hope you see the point, but just in case some of you have fallen asleep already, how are we looking? How are we looking? Are we looking with our, with our gaze wide open? The average person over 50 will have spent a year looking for lost items. Do a lot of looking. The average British woman spends 76 hours per year shopping. Oh, sorry, looking for things in her bag. 
Sorry, just got that wrong. It's just, you know, it's the light, the iPad and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> we spend a lot of time looking for stuff that doesn't really matter. How much of us, how many of us commit our time to looking for things that are lost, that do really matter? Verse 16, I love it. From now on, we view no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this, day, in this way. I love that. Folks, we have got to stop viewing people from a worldly point of view. Have you ever found yourself saying, they'll never? And then they did. And you say, well, I never. <laughs> have you ever found yourself in that place? It's like, I am shocked. I remember... Hearing one of the stories in the baptismal uh, that, that took place about a year ago, was it now? I remember being blown away by a guy who came and announced himself as, as, as an atheist and then an agnostic and then a Christian. He would have said never. I guess many people might have looked at him from a worldly point of view. Is he here tonight just out of interest? No, that's fine. It's not a problem. Don't make a deal of it. I'm just asking. All right. Don't get on one about it. All right. He's probably out looking for the loss. But anyway... <laughs> but it's like folks we, we can and we've but you know what I've discovered and this is why I want you to um, I want you to consider this I've, I've tried to to say to summarize evangelism and it's somebody said to me like, just can you can you put into a short phrase evangelism I was asked to do it for a presentation where they were flashing up and I said yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna suggest that evangelism is finding out where God's at work and joining him. That's its simplest form. And I've discovered God's at work. So I'm out with this personal trainer dude. And I'm cycling like this on my bike. And he said to me, Mark? I said, yeah. He said to me, I'm sorry to bring work into personal training. Do you mind? I said, will I get any money out of it? <laughs> he said, no. I mind. And then he said to me, feeling empty, feeling un- unfulfilled in life, can you help me? I said, for a reasonable price, I'll help anybody. <laughs> I said, of course I can, mate. We went on to have a conversation. And I just kind of said to him this year, I said, I'll tell you what, let's make a pact. I said, you help me. And be my physical, tra- physical trainer. And I'll help you and be your spiritual trainer. Are you up for that? He said, I'm up for that. I says, then let's do some exercise. Because <laughs> God was at work in him. God was at work in him. How did I know? I could stand from a distance and go, Lord, give me a word. Give me a word. Write it over his head. Give me a word. Or I could go cycling with him. And have a conversation. So my neighbour, Tony, next door but one, comes up to see me a month ago. He said, Mark, he said, um, I've, uh, my girlfriend's a recovering alcoholic. I'm doing this course for people who are the partners of recovering alcoholics. It talks about the higher power. He says, I know you know about the higher power. I don't know anything about the higher power. Can you help me know something about the higher power? I said, I can help you know something about the higher power. And I said, because you are feeling this higher power drawing you, aren't you? You're feeling drawn to this higher power. He said, I am. He said, but I don't know what to do. I said, I can help you. I can help you. What I'm saying is, folks, God's at work. God is at work. 
let's put our effort into being where the lost items are in the expectation that we will find the lost items. So go with your eyes wide open and start looking well. Start looking well. Go with that expectation and view nobody from a worldly point of view. Let's pray. With all this in mind, I want to encourage you with one of the sort of later sentences in that reading. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And I think when we've unpacked what we've unpacked tonight, we can maybe see afresh why we're Christ's ambassadors, can't we? Just the, the pleasure and privilege that we have. Let me help you understand this. A pub landlord was hoping to get round the new smoking ban that came a few years ago by turning his premises into the official British embassy of a remote Caribbean island. Bob Beach wanted to turn the Wellington Arms in Fremantle, Southampton into the UK base of the uninhabited Redonda. Why? Because he, he could be different, he could be an ambassador. He could make his pub subject to those rules. All illustrations have a shortfall, but I want you to know that you are ambassador. You are God's diplomat. He says as though Christ himself was making his appeal through you. And wherever we go, we do carry the kingdom of heaven. We've still got to live here, so I'm not saying you trash all the laws. You understand where the illustration falls down. But actually, we, we carry the kingdom of God. I don't know a great deal about the kingdom of God and its manifestation. Mark, who's on keyboards, would probably have seen a lot more of the manifestation of the kingdom of, of heaven coming as he's worked with an amazing evangelist called Reinhardt who somehow manages to bring the kingdom of heaven in a way that is very unique and different and powerful and phenomenal but for you and I just walking about in our everyday life we, we are the kingdom it's, it's, it's here the kingdom is, is here it's, it's in you it's around you one passage says so I want to encourage you this evening how are you? Honestly, how are you tasting? How are you smelling? How are you running? How are you looking? Just before I uh, give opportunity for us to respond, it may well be that you're here this evening and you've never arrived at that point in your life where you've said yes to God. I'd like to help you do that this evening. Maybe you've, just in the worship, in the praise, maybe you've been stirred a little bit by something that you felt and sensed you might not have understood it. But I want to encourage you to say yes to God and to enter into his kingdom. 
2,000 years ago when, when Jesus died, he, he, it wasn't just a demonstration of God's love, though it was that. The Bible tells us that when Jesus died, he was overcoming the power. Power of sin. Let me explain what that is. I already mentioned briefly that when you and I leave God out, it stops us connecting with God. I'm not going to say too much more about what Jesus did when he overcame that sin, but one of the crucial things that he did is he removed that divide so that you and I can connect with God and all that stands between you connecting with God is just a simple yes, a heartfelt yes. So why don't you just, where you are this evening, if you've never said yes to God, why don't you just say yes to God right where you are now? Say it to him now. Go on, say it. Experience being a new creation. It might be that you said yes to God many years ago. If you're really honest, you've not lived like somebody who said yes to God. You've fallen away. It's kind of dissipated somewhat and you've become a bit weak in your faith. Why don't you say yes again to him this evening? That's an appropriate response for you this evening. Just where you are, whether it's yes for the first time or yes again. Just say yes to him now. Maybe you don't feel that you can make that big commitment to God but certainly what you've experienced now has stirred something maybe you're on a bit of a journey why don't you say yes to yourself yes I'm going to find out a little bit more I'm going to commit myself to doing that you owe it to yourself your life's too precious I often say to people you're too precious not to connect with the God that kind of planned you to be here just say yes to him and I want to suggest to you this evening that on the way out I'll just be stood on the door I've got a little booklet called The Journey I've written for people who said yes to God if you said yes to God then why don't you just uh, come and see me on the door speak to a friend that invited you if you're a little bit nervous send them to get a booklet or at the very least let them know at some point that you said yes this evening for those of us that are Christians is disappearing I know but I just want us to to pause I really feel God's spoken to us this evening so which of those three areas I guess we could all tick all of them but which one of those kind of grabs you the most just offer that now to him maybe you aren't leaving creating a good taste smelling well maybe it's become a bit burdensome because you're not running the love of Christ isn't compelling you like that fast running river maybe maybe you're not really looking maybe you view people from a a worldly perspective and you've come disheartened because you, you just can't see it could you just now in these still moments offer your response pray, I'm not going to call you out this evening, I don't necessarily feel that it's right for me to do, but I'm completely happy with any of the guys leading if they feel it's right to call for response in any other way I submit that to you Um, but I'm going to pray and then I'm going to 
hand back over to, to the guys to finish our evening. Father, we're here. And uh, Lord, I pray for those folk here this evening, Lord, who were not giving off a very good smell when it comes to the radiance of Christ, Lord. We've created a bit of a, a, a nasty taste in the mouth of people, Lord. We've not created a kind of sense that they want to taste you, want to get into you, God, want to find out more. Forgive us, Lord, when we become a little bit burdened and we stop running inwardly, Lord. We're not compelled with the love of Christ. Forgive us, Lord, when we're not looking well. We're not looking expectantly, Lord. We don't go out looking. We don't expect to see you at work. We, we look far too much at people from a worldly perspective and not from a heavenly perspective, Lord. But Father, I pray you do something in our hearts and in our lives that would ignite a new something in us this evening, Lord God. As we've encountered you, and maybe through our honesty, encountering ourselves in a sense, God, in a fresh way. Lord, we humbly, honestly, unreservedly present our bodies to you as a living sacrifice. Because this is our reasonable act of worship. And Lord, would you take the sacrifice of our lives. May it be pleasing in your sight, we pray. The name of Jesus. Praise you.